0: why people grow. How do you see growth? How do you experience it? And today we want to keep going in on this series and diving a little bit deeper into what does it really look like when Christians begin to grow and what happens when their growth changes things. I mean we can just see that when somebody builds a house in Amarillo they don't have to cut down a lot of trees. They, they instead they plant them They plant trees because they want trees. Uh, It's a different story from where my parents live. In Oklahoma, where they live, if you want to build a house, you have to cut down trees. Because there's no other place to go. So in the middle of the woods, you have to cut something down. And I really believe this is the truth of Christian life. I believe to follow after Jesus and to build our lives up in him, there are some things that we must cut out. And there are some things that we must plant. Because it makes a difference in our walk with the Lord. And so today, we want to continue down the path of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 4. So if you'll go ahead and turn there in your Bibles with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We need to start by looking back of last week. Because chapter 4 begins with a really strange statement. we got to go back and we got to remember what we learned last week. That really there was these two different paths that, that we got through Scripture. A ministry of death and a ministry of life. This ministry of death came through the law. And it showed us that there is no way that you and I, on our own good merit, could inherit anything that looks like eternal life. Because we could not answer the law fully on our own. It's an impossibility. We could strive with all we got, but we're not going to meet the mark. But then we get the second part of it, that because of Jesus, there's a second law that play, takes place, and that is a law of grace and love found in Jesus Christ. When we fall into that line, when we fall into that ministry, everything changes. Now, you and I, this side of heaven, still can't complete the law in Christ, We're broken vessels. At best, we can offer filthy rags. Remember talking about that last week as well. Our our best just can't make it. So we needed something to take the place of what our best could be for the sake of what God wanted to be holy and sacred. And so we get this moment in Scripture that Jesus changes everything. And he answers the law completely. And he shows us how in him... We can fulfill some things that we could not without him. And so that's where we are today in our scripture. We'll pick up there, but first, let's spend some time talking to our Savior and Lord. Father God, we need your illumination into scripture. Lord, without you, insight cannot be found. So Lord, I, I pray today, God, that you would speak over our hearts. God, that you would take this broken vessel before these people And God, that you would use it in some way, God, that you would convey your truth to them. God, move me out of the way in such a way that they could hear from you. Lord, that's what they need today. Not another minister, not another broken vessel. They need the holiness of God to speak over their lives. Lord, I need the same thing. So Lord, speak to me. Lord, although I'll be the auditory form of what they hear, God, use my voice to speak to my soul today. God, thank you for what you're going to do in advance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we've been shown mercy, we don't give up. Do you see it yet? He's talking about the ministry that we're given in Jesus. Jesus. The law had a ministry, and it meant death, but there's, because of Jesus, a great fulfillment of the law, and that ministry changes everything. So because of Jesus, because of the ministry that he provides, we as Christians, just like we see Paul writing, don't give up. Instead, verse 2 says, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but condemning, uh, commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of truth. I want to stop here for a second to talk about something that you're going to hear about. Um, this morning, the Houston Chronicle released a, uh, a documentary, if you will. You can find it online, and I encourage you to go and look at it. It talks about the years of abuse and scandal Found in the Southern Baptist Convention. It talks about how many churches, when approached by uh, sexual sin, have swept it underneath the carpet and have not dealt with it. Uh, that they've just kind of pushed things aside and haven't spoken openly about these victims. Uh, I think in the article it recounts, I believe since 98, I, I just read it shortly. You ought to forgive me if I'm wrong on that date. Since 98, 700 victims of sexual abuse. Have taken place. Um, They've documented how many leaders have been asked to stand up and say something or to do something, to act when it's produced, to act when it's even brought up, not just waiting for the facts to come out, but act then to make that voice heard and they had not. Guys at the very top of the convention, guys at small churches, guys everywhere who have simply just heard these victims' names and done nothing. I want you to know on on my behalf uh, this afternoon, I'm going to write my thoughts on it, but I wanted to share it with you as well. Anything that's done in dark will eventually come to light. It's how it works. Nothing can stay hidden. Anything swept under rugs, eventually the rug moves, doesn't it? And so When approached by sin in our own lives, when approached by sin in our public lives, we must deal with it then. Because I can just tell you what happens later is an article will be written. And it may not come out in Houston Chronicle, but it may come out in your family, it may come out in your business, it may come out wherever it so chooses. I can promise you today the men mentioned in this article do not want their name in this article. They, I guarantee you, have made a statement. They've found a lawyer. They've done everything they can to protect their name. But today, their name is out there. This is exactly what it says in this passage. We renounce the secret and the shameful things, not only acting deceitfully or distorting the Word of God, but by committing ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of truth. This is what occurs in the life of a Christian We begin to become clean because we're in front of a holy God. Nothing can be hidden. It all will come out in time. If you scar a tree, you bump into it with your car, it lays up against something for a while, it cannot hide its damage. It'll grow around it. It'll produce a knot. It'll do something because damage will always show itself. And it does in the Christian's life as well. Do not be mistaken. What we do privately will come out publicly in time. It is a ticking time bomb for us. What's more is this. We should be deeply wounded that God knows long before the public does. I'm telling you this with all my heart. What should wound us is also this. In Christ, when we commit sin, he sees it and forgives it. And to me, that is wounding, because that's not how I act. If you punch my daughter, I'm coming after you. We're going to have fisticas. I played Mike Tyson's punch out as a kid. I know how it works. But I got to tell you, God loves us so much that he watches us punch his bride, the church, with our actions, with our private lives, and he loves us, but... He will allow us to face the consequences of our sin this side of heaven. It is what a loving God has to do to show that he is a loving God all the time. We don't like it, but God judges so differently than we do. We sin, but we ask God not to let it take effect, and God goes, it already has. You've already damaged the tree. It's going to have a scar. But we in Christ, it says, must denounce secret and shameful things. I, I, was, I was telling Craig earlier this week, I, I nearly did this, but I thought I had to finish preaching and I don't know if I could. I was gonna sit down in a chair and pull up my pants legs and have April come up and wax the hair on my legs. Just rip it off. And I thought, boy, that would be early in this scripture reading and man, it would be early in the sermon and I don't know if I could have finished. I mean, I really, I wrestled with it for a while and kind of went, hmm, probably not. Thought about finding a video. Every video of a man that has hair pulled from his body, we would have had to edit. <laughs> we are sissies. Listen, it, it is what it is, but that is exactly the image of what the Christian walk must look like. We must rip away the deceitful and shameful things from our lives because the gospel is meaningful and we care about it deeply. We desire at the core of our soul, those in Christ desire others to know Christ like we're coming to know him. That's why we must tear away everything that would distort that gospel. We have to clean up our lives in such a way in Christ. And here's the funny thing, he will show you how. In fact, he will lead you in it. He's not asking you to make any movements towards holiness that he won't direct you towards. God is good. He is so good that he not only saves us from our sin, he saves us from ourselves. Because we are so deceitful, we are so broken, even our heart, Scripture tells us, is deceitful. Your heart will tell you everything that you need to do to love you. But God is going to show you everything that you need to do to love him. Verse 3, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ, who is the image of God. I I want you to see this for a moment. For those that don't get the gospel, for those that don't see its richness, it's not because it's not good. And it's not because it's not helpful or healing. It's because there's a real enemy out there that is veiling it to them. They can't even kind of capture it. You could talk to them, but they just can't see it. Remember we got out of verse 3 that said that when Moses comes down off the mountain, he is glowing with the presence of God. And they make him veil his face. Why would they want to veil his face? He has been in the presence of a holy God. They should want to experience all of that. But that's exactly what the world is doing. They're looking to God and saying, I don't know if I want all that. And I always answer back, why would you not want peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? None of those things can be gauged or earned through anything the world has to offer. You can't even hope to attain them. You can't earn them. You can't get strong enough to have them. Unattainable. I just think that there's something at the core of us that must grieve and deepen by knowing that we are given this kind of greatness in us. That those who have understood and grabbed a hold of the gospel in our lives, when we've accepted God's truth and when we've believed upon him, when we've heard his voice and responded, the enemy's veil was ripped away from us. And how many people do we know that are walking through veiled to the truth of God today? It's completely crazy. I I think that there's something deep in us that should be growing in us like a tree that's growing hard and solid. That we're growing up in Christ in such a way that we will rip away the wrong things and run to the veils. God, show us the veils. Lead us to them because I believe this. There is a day. And I pray it's this side of heaven for everyone where they will acknowledge him. And I want to be a part of that acknowledgement, this side of heaven. We don't know when that takes place. I don't know if you, how often you share your faith, but I can promise you this. The more you share your faith, the more you'll find people that are availed to the gospel. You'll share it and they'll say, I don't care to hear about it. I've heard it go on. I don't want to know. And you, like I, will be brokenhearted and we will go on and we'll learn that even the Lord says they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting what? Him. we got to get to this place where we see the veils and our heart breaks for them. Instead of watching the news and having a criticism, watch the news for the veils. They're constantly in front of us. They are written on faces of everyone in today. I believe this with all of my heart because we have missed out on verses 1 through 2 and even to 3. People are putting their veils back on today. They're reading Houston Chronicle and going, yeah, that's what the gospel does. And shame on us for ever letting the gospel be attached to the sin of people who claim that they have it. We should be doing better to preserve the gospel. But let me tell you this. And I hope you hear this with all of my heart. God and his gospel are good despite us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He doesn't have to have us, but he uses us. And even when we're broken, and even when we're sinful, God loves us and pursues us towards holiness. He doesn't leave us where we are. He pulls us to himself. Because where the presence of the Lord is, there's freedom. We're going to see that here in a second. Verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as the Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. When you and I fall in love with Jesus, we will serve the world. That's how it works. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of God. Of Jesus Christ when you plug into Jesus you will shine like he shines because he is good despite us he can shine out of the ruins of who we are and he can show how good he is now I want you to capture this next moment because I think there's a reality of who Jesus is and what he's trying to call us to do in him it says this in verse 7 now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. You capture that for a second? Jars of clay. Now I don't know if you have any jars of clay where you live. Or at your household. Or where you reside. Or at your office or school. But you can push over a jar of clay and it does what? Shatters. You know why? It's not built like steel. It's different. It's made of dirt. It's, it's built up. But here's the greatest part about this passage. There's two things I hope you'll capture this morning. One is this, he builds his truth, he builds his gospel in us like jars of clay so that he may be known and we would not be. Because we inevitably will be tipped, we will be scarred, we will be marred by our sin, but you know what stays good? The gospel. It's powerful and he says this is because God may be made known so that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us we are not strong enough he is but what's more is he keeps going but this jar of clay that God built this this thought of being tender this thought of being broken you know able to break says this we are afflicted in every way but not crushed I love that not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but what? Not destroyed. That sounds like a different jar of clay to me. How about y'all? You know why? If you fill a massive jar of clay full of something, it becomes very hard to break. When it's empty, easily breakable. But when it's full and it falls, it presses against itself, but it cannot be broken. This is what the glory of God does in us. His indwelling, his filling of this ministry of himself allows when the pressures of this world occur, when things happen in your life, you may feel the pressure, you may feel the fall, you may feel the bump, but you will survive not because of you, but because of him. This is what an unbelieving world doesn't understand. Because we all face it the same. We all wake up and see the travesties in our world. We all see the shootings. We all see buildings falling. We all see massacres. We all see genocide. We all face it. We all feel earthquakes when they happen. We all see tornadoes. We all see it. The amazing thing about it is in the middle of it are a bunch of jars of clay, either filled with God or empty. And when the pressures of this world occur, what will happen is things will break. But in Christ, we will be pressured. We will feel it. We will be struck down. We will be perplexed. We will be afflicted. But we will not be crushed. We will not be in despair. We will not be abandoned. And we will not be destroyed. Why? Because we don't belong to the jar. We belong to what's in it. And what's in it is eternal. Amen. What's in it is holy. What's in it lasts. And so even if this jar perishes, it will not die. Amen. In Christ, we have eternity built into us. So that when we're pressured, when we are pushed around, we may feel it, but it will not last. Amen. Those outside of Christ are They have a doomed letter on them. For when they are crushed, when they are emptied, when they are killed, when they take their last breath, they go from death to death. We go from life to life. Because God doesn't just give us life for one day. He gives us life for today. Man, I love it. We always carry around, listen to what it is. Look at what we carry. I argue this, that our jars of clay are an urn that plants trees. Capture this. We always carry around the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is, oh, is at work in us but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. You and I carry around in us the death and life of Jesus. We die with him because we have to put to death the old self. We have to rip away the old man and woman from our lives and put on the new, and that new is not you. That new is Jesus. From that day forward, when you rip away the old life, when you repent and you turn away from the old way, you rip away the old self, the old ways, the old thoughts, and you take on Jesus who will transform your thoughts and your ways into his. He is so good that he loves us not just so that we may learn how to die, but that we would learn how to live. We get to carry the message of Jesus beyond ourselves. It's not just so good that Jesus saved us. It is so good that Jesus can save a world. He loved the world so much that he sent Christ. This Jesus would live a perfect life. He would die a sinner's death, our death on a cross for our sins. He would put them on the cross and put them to death. He would die and be buried three days and rise again. And then he would go to prepare a place and leave behind the Holy Spirit who would minister to us, illuminate scripture before us, give us that inner working that we could understand the will of God. And not only that, but he would give us the commissioning to go and share him. God is so good that he's never, ever left his people alone. Never once, never will for eternity. He has never left you. And what's more is he doesn't just stay with you, he equips you to go. He is perhaps the greatest coach of all time. He equips us he changes us he molds us and he makes us a messenger of who he is giving you his very nature i i'm a massive fan of a team that i will not mention inside church walls because i hope that god would minister to them anyways but our former quarterback is now an analyst for cbs and it's amazing to watch him from the booth i mean it's it's he just has that ability to see a play before it happens. If you've ever watched it, it's just amazing to kind of see him say, you know, what they're going to do is they're going to check down to this receiver and they're going to gain 10 yards and all of a sudden check down the receiver, 10 yards. And you're like, is this on delay? Are they just making sure that he sounds real good? And everybody's amazed by it, but you know what he couldn't do? Do it on the field. He just couldn't see it when he was the quarterback. I mean, there's times that as a fan, I was like, can you not get this? That guy's wide open, and he even says it. This guy's going to be wide open. You just watch, and they throw it to him, and he's wide open. I'm like, really? We should have been champions. This is exactly what it looks like when you and I try and control our faith. When you and I try and control the will of God in our life, we will be like he was on the field. We will look foolish. We will face losses. And at the end of the day, we will never be known as somebody who champions the will of God. However, God isn't asking you to lead your faith. He's asking you to let him lead your faith. He can see it all. He knows the outcomes. He knows what's happening. And He is asking you to fall into him and allow him to lead your life like a shepherd. You see, sheep make bad shepherds. Even a dog is better than a sheep. God is calling you to lean into him. He will equip you for what he's asking you to do. He will give you everything that you need to follow after him. You just got to follow his will. How do you know it? How do you know the will of God? How can you hear from God? I I mean, we all want that magic, you know, chalkboard to come out of the sky and go, oh, yeah, I get it now. Thanks, God. He's like, "I've, I've given you chalkboards galore. I've given you more than enough chalkboards to fill your whole life full. Why do you struggle in your marriage? Why do you struggle at work? Why do you struggle being single? Why do you struggle with homework? <laughs> Bad teachers. That's what that, it's in here. I'm just kidding. Um, we struggle because we don't listen to God. And we are ill-equipped to call ourselves Christians when we don't spend time with Him. We love the name, we just don't love the man. We love eternity, we just don't love to be with him there. It's going to be really awkward in heaven when we get there and we have to spend a lot of time with the one that we should have spent a lot of time with now. God is calling his church to himself in his word. He's waiting for us to capture and get a glimpse of everything he has in store for us. All the truth he has for us that's already there and waiting. God is not silent. God is not waiting. God is always pursuing Are we. It shows up in how we look in our maturity with him. It shows up in the rings of time that we should have spent with him but got very little from him. and the seasons, we got plenty. I often think how many times I've missed opportunities, even as a minister, to spend time with God. And how I've gone through seasons of famine spiritually when God has always been pouring out himself upon me. Verse 14. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us with Jesus and present you with with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it can cause thanksgiving to increase the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Do you see it? Even though... We feel like we are these vessels that are torn apart. We keep looking on the outside and going, oh, Lord, you don't know the affliction I'm facing. Oh, Lord, you don't know all the hurt I feel. Oh, Lord, you don't know the scars. He goes, look inside. I'm building you up. I'm putting stuff in you that you can't even touch. Trust in me. I'm equipping you day by day. That's why we must stay with him we spend the time in his word in prayer in fellowship in service in evangelism because we want to be at the heartbeat of where he is i uh when i was young we were told that a man was coming to march in a parade in albuquerque new mexico we were living there at the time and i was so excited so i stood in the parade route and i waited and waited and there he came. Ernest. Remember Ernest goes to camp? Ernest goes to jail. Ernest walked by me. And I was like, Ernest! I was 27. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I was like five or six, and, and he came by and he went, hey man, because he smoked terribly. Hey man, what's going on? I was like, oh, he spoke to me. And, like, I was the cool kid at school that next day. Ernest said, hey. The kids were like, what? I was like, yeah, to my face. <laughs> I thought it was so amazing. And I, I just I felt this closeness to him that when I watched him on TV TV after that, like, it was like when he talked on TV, I was like, yeah, we're buddies. We spent that time together. We are like BFFs. That wasn't a thing then. <laughs> Um, and so I felt this closeness to Ernest just because he walked by. And how many people showed up in crowds to see Jesus and never had an encounter with him? They just watched him walk by. How many people were there in the crowd that day when Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree that just watched Jesus walk by? And how many of us in spiritual life are just watching Jesus walk walk by. We're not asking for him to encounter our lives. We're not asking him to change us. We just want him to walk by us. Hey, Jesus, I just want to, like, if you could just enter the room at church and I could be like, yay, Jesus. And I can go tell my friends, you know what? I had a really great day at church on Sunday. And I go, oh, that's great. What'd you learn? Oh, nothing. I just, it's really great. I cried. I mean, the preacher made me laugh. Good day great day. He talked about earnest. Less day, but still good. I'm telling you, Jesus does not want to be in your parade. He wants to come to your house and change your life. He's not okay with just letting you go through the motions of Christianity and be unaffected. He wants to infect your life with himself. He wants to equip you And we can't let what this world does to us affect that. Because the next verse says this, verse 17, For our momentary light affliction does something. Even that does something with Jesus. It produces for us an absolute, incorruptible, eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen. We don't focus on the dents. We don't focus on the scars. We don't focus on the bruises. We, We focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Let me ask you a question today. Does eternity matter at all? Okay, I mean, I I agree with like the 10 of y'all. I agree, eternity matters. Here's the problem with Christianity we believe it only matters to us. I'm saved. I'm good. Peace out. I don't need anybody else. I'm not going to talk about it because I'm good. The Lord's like, hello, are you in me? Am I in you? Because if so, you will bear much fruit, which means this. You and I in Christ are called to a broken world that doesn't produce fruit. And we're to equip them because they're veiled. And the gospel has never encountered their hearts because they can't even get a glimpse of it. Let me just tell you the greatest lie that's ever been told in Christian life. Just act like Jesus and they'll get it. That's a lie. Tell them the gospel. Share with them the truth. You know why? They come to faith by hearing. Scripture tells us that. You cannot hold on to a gospel you've never heard of. And frankly, the Houston Chronicle today is telling you they never will see it. Because a lost believing world doesn't. That's in Texas. That's not some California paper or some paper that we think the liberals are writing and just bashing them in conservatives. These are our neighbors. These are people that have been harmed by people that claim the name of Jesus. And it's time that we remind the world that Jesus does not harm people. He saves them. We carry that in these jars of clay. And while we may feel the temporary bumps and bruises and scars, we are being built up inside by Jesus Christ. And though we may feel pressured and hurt, we will not be destroyed because of who is in us. Because he that is in us is greater than he that is what? In the world. Our neighbors are at the very table of he that's in the world. They're eating blindly from his table because they can't even see what they're eating. They think that fame and fortune and popularity is going to feed their souls forever, but there is an end. Every multimillionaire has the same fate as anybody that's living on food stamps. We all die. We all die and we all face the judgment. I believe this. Every millionaire to every food stamp recipient needs the same thing. Jesus Christ. He loved them so much. He not only died for them and rose for them and lives eternally for them. He's not only given them the Holy Spirit, but he's also given the world, his church. A bunch of jars of clay that bump up against each other and sing songs about him. May you and I pour him out this week into the lives of people because it's that good to us. i just gonna ask you to do me a favor. Right where you are, just bow your head and close your eyes. I promise you I won't take long in this moment. This is not self-indulgent. I just want you to have no distractions for a few seconds. Do you know Jesus Christ? Can you say today that I know him 100% sure? I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And today you can say without any doubt, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord, the one that saved me from my sins, my Savior. He is also the leader of my life. I continually going and dying to self and asking him to lead my life. If that's you, praise God. And today you would say, I don't know for certain that I've ever admitted I have sinned in my life and repented of those sins and asked Jesus to lead me. If you can say, I'm not quite sure I've ever done that, Kyle. Today is your day to know. Do not leave this room without knowing 100% sure you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't do it. Don't let that clock keep ticking. We don't know the time that we will face the end of our lives. We're not guaranteed anything. The most healthiest people on the planet suddenly perish. So don't leave this room without knowing. My prayer is that in these next few minutes, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to continue a conversation about that, in the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to come. Stand with us down here. Come ask the question. I'll be down here. Dale will be down here. And here's the other thing. I'm going to invite a few people to come with me this morning. I'm going to ask that our deacons come. They're going to be down here up front on the sides. So maybe today you're like, I I can't tell my pastor pastor about it, but I I would tell somebody that's not the pastor of our church. Praise God. There is no saving grace through your pastor. It's only Jesus. So deacons, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to start praying and I'm going to ask you to come. I ask you to come stand down here with us. Church, today, if you need prayer, if you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, today is your day. Do not wait. I'm going to pray. You ready? Heavenly Father, I'm praying over this room, God, that you would move in this place. God, you'd speak over the people in this room, from every child to every student to every adult. Lord, that you would encounter us. God, that you would change our lives, And God, that you'd speak over us right now. God, we want to admit that we have not torn away the things in our life that we should have. Lord, we repent and we declare that we need you. God, for those that would follow after us, God, they would say, we need that forgiveness. I have sinned. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, God. So I'm one of those all. And today I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, you would move in their life and they would have no other choice but to make you known. So God, I pray right now, that these broken earthly vessels, these jars of clay would come alive today. And God, you'd fill us with your spirit and equip us to go in your name. May you change the story starting today of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. In his name we say, amen.